Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. And as always, I am Nika Spaulding. And if you've been following along in real time, you know that I am back from a very long hiatus away from this. And so um, I would say thanks for your patience, but who knows if you've been patient? I don't know. You didn't really have a choice, but um, as we jump into this next book of the Bible that we're going to be going through, you'll actually learn a little bit of why I've been gone for so long, uh, but it's good to be back. And so I am pumped. And so without further ado, to let you know where we're headed, we are going to be tackling the book of Lamentations next. And so I'm really excited to jump into it. It's a really unique book. I think it offers a lot of perspective that the Christian church needs today, especially in 2021 is when I'm recording this, as the world feels like it's literally falling apart around me. And so I think a book like Lamentations is very timely. And so if you've been with me before, then you know where we're going. And if you're new, welcome. And the thing that we do anytime we start a new book of the Bible is we always do an introduction. And the simple reason is this, is anytime you're studying a book of the Bible, you need to know where you're going. It's like going to a new city. You can go to a new city. You can go explore it. You'll see cool things. You'll eat cool things. It'll be cool. But if you go with a tour guide, that tour guide is going to orient you to it. It's going to point, he or she's going to point out really cool things. You're going to get a lot more experience out of it because they're going to orient you like, hey, this is why these things are important. These are some unique features of the city. These are the things that happened here historically so that when you go and look at them, you can be like, oh, that's why that's there. And so for us, anytime we're studying a new book of the Bible, we can squeeze a whole lot more juice out of that orange if we have an introduction to it. And so that's what we're going to do today. This episode is entirely introduction to Lamentations, but as the name suggests, Lamentations is a book of lament. So we're also going to do a mini lesson, little mini lesson, if you'll indulge me on what lament is from a Christian perspective, uh, or what it, how it shows up in our scriptures, I should say. And so we're going to take a look at that. Uh, and then in the weeks ahead, we will jump into the book of Lamentations. So for today, as you know, we typically go who, what, when, where, and why. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. So first of all, the who, most of the time, when you hear the book of Lamentations, people think Jeremiah wrote it. Now, part of the reason why that is, is because in the ancient world, authorship is not the same way that it is today. I mean, there's a whole whole books of, of literature that are called pseudepigrapha, which is like pseudo, like pseudo writings, essentially. In other words, like they're accredited to people, like this is the testimony of Moses, but Moses had been dead for a thousand years when it was written, right? So in the ancient world, it would make sense that they would say the prophet Jeremiah wrote this because there's so many things that are happening in the book of Lamentations that are simultaneous with the life and ministry of Jeremiah. However, this is an anonymous book. We actually don't know who wrote it. And chances are it might have been a group of people. It might have been a communal book. It might have been Jeremiah, but we don't see that in here. And so the who, though, is a it's a communal book. It's written as a communal book people who have experienced a horrific event and they are responding to that horrific event. And you'll see throughout the book, there are multiple voices used, uh, different perspectives in the book show up. So it feels as if it's a community book of lament, but it might've been written by Jeremiah. I tend to think maybe, maybe not, eh, eh. but that's the who, and it's written for the very people that it seems to be written by. So it's written for the people of Israel who have been carried off into exile by Babylon. We'll unpack that. But it's written for them. It's a communal book of lament. It's meant to be by the people for the people, so to speak. So that's the who. The what? It's it's a book of five poems, and all of the poems are poems of lament. And again, we'll unpack what lament means. Um, and, And just so you know, this is not a unique feature to the Bible. So throughout the Psalms, 
the book of Psalms was the prayer book of the ancient people. They had the Psalm book and for different occasions, like if they were going up to Jerusalem, they would read what we call the Psalms of Ascent. When there were moments of praise, they would read the praise Psalms. Well, about a third of our Psalms, one third, think about that. Of all the prayers that God is inviting you to pray to him, a third of them are lament. And it's Psalms like 10, 13, 63, 69, 74, 79. There's lots of Psalms of lament. And so Lamentations is not unique in a lament sense. Like there are other lament poems in the scriptures throughout the book of Psalms. But this one is a collection of five very specific Psalms of lament that pertain to a very specific event. The first four are all acrostics, which if y'all remember that, like when you're growing up and you're in elementary school and you're like, you're going to write out your name. So N-I-K-A and N stands for gnarly. And I know that starts with a G, but when I was little, I didn't know that. And I is incredible and K is killer. And that's not a good word, but A is athletic, right? That's an acrostic. You use the letters of something and you spell things out. So what this was, was an alphabetic acrostic in the Hebrew language. And so Aleph, Bey, Gimel, Dalet, all these Hebrew letters, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 verses in the first two poems, or in the, yeah, books one and two. Chapter three uses three lines per letter. So there's 22 times three, 66. Chapter four goes back to 22. And then chapter five, interestingly enough, is not an acrostic. It is still has 22 lines, but it's almost as if all the grief that we're going to walk through in this book, it's almost like it spills over and it's no longer orderly. So we're not going all if bay, gimel, not A, B, C, D. It's almost as if it's just the chaos is broken through and the grief is so much. And so that's what we'll get to, though. We'll talk, of course, more about all these things, but it is a book of poems that expresses lament, five of them written by a community for a community or written by Jeremiah for a community, but it's definitely for a community. The win. Okay. What differentiates Lamentations from the other Psalms of Lament is that those Psalms of Lament do refer to specific instances at times. And sometimes we know what they are, but this one, we for sure know what's going on. So the win is if you go back and you read 2 Kings 24 and 25, let me give you, a, let me back all the, way, all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God, right, creates Adam and Eve. We have creation, fall, flood, tower. Then we get Abe, Ike, Jake, Joe, right? And then Joseph saves his whole family in Egypt. And then all of a sudden they're rescued in the land of Egypt. And then Exodus opens up and it's like, and then a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph rose into power. And if we're reading our Bibles, like a good story, we're going, dun, dun, dun. And so they are enslaved. 400 years. And God's like, yeah, let's go get my people. So he raises up Moses. Moses walks the people out. Most of Exodus is a story of redemption and revelation. So, hey, I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to give you the law so that you know what it means to follow me. So then you get these law books like Leviticus and, and it's all of this talk about what does it mean to be the people of God? And then you get to numbers and we know they send spies into the land and the spies are not good dudes. They go straight to a prostitute's house, but shout out Rahab, right? So eventually, after they're done wandering in the wilderness, which was their consequence for their disbelief, they eventually go into the land under the leadership of Joshua. They conquer the land, but they don't drive out their foreign enemies. And God tells them, hey, stay away from those foreign gods. And they're like, mm, 
thanks, but no thanks. And so they begin to rebel. And so now we have the lineage of the king. So then God raises up a king because the people want a king. And so first they raise up Saul. He's bad, dude. So then God raises up David, who's a man after his own heart. So then David is supposed to be the king who's going to reign forever. This is what God promises him. But immediately after he's done, Solomon, his son becomes king. And then after Solomon dies, now the kingdom gets split in half. So all this time, God's created the people. He's rescued the people. He's set the people apart. He's given them his good and perfect law. He's given them the land that he promised to Abraham. He's given them a king that they asked for. He's given them all these amazing things, land, seed, blessing, bam, 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 all this good stuff. And we're not even two kings in to our supposed to be eternal lineage. And when Solomon dies, the kingdom gets split. In a podcast a thousand years ago, when I first started God on Tap, I said that both of this, the kings that split, Jeroboam in the north and Rehoboam in the south, were sons of Solomon. That is not true. Rehoboam in the south is a son of Solomon. Jeroboam is not his son. So my bad. Please forgive me for that. I don't know where I said that. But anyways, either way, kingdom gets split in half. North, we call Israel. South, we call Judah. Well, as you can imagine, the kings, most of them do not follow the Lord because, again, we're just on this spiral out of control that's why we need jesus thank you jesus uh so the northern kingdom they rebel all their kings are bad 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 so god eventually sends in prophets to the north they don't listen and in 722 they get carried off okay great boom bye now we've got the southern kingdom which should have learned from her sister in the north but she's not you know i, I don't know about you all but I have to learn things my own way too. I don't learn from other people's bad examples. I have to do my own bad things. So Southern Kingdom, they also have their own set of prophets. They've come in, hey guys, I'm warning you, turn back. And you may ask yourself, what was it that they were doing? They were oppressing the poor. They were forsaking the laws of God. They were, as Amos says, they are, you know, eating off the fat of the land, but engaging in trafficking of slaves and engaging in oppressing the poor right if you go back and listen to our amos one you'll see like these are all the things that they're doing and god who is slow to anger does not mean he doesn't eventually act okay so god is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love he gave them 500 years between david and what's going to happen to them and he's sending them prophet after prophet after prophet, hey, cut it out. Hey, cut it out. Hey, cut it out. That's that's a long time to be patient. Like, I don't know about y'all. Like, I, some of y'all had very patient parents who were like, I'm going to count to 10. And the way they count, 10, 9. And some of y'all had parents, I'm going to count to 10, 10, 9, 8, 7, 8, get over here, right? We have a 500-year patient father. Sends them warnings. Sends them prophets. And then eventually, because you cannot trample on God's good justice forever and not expect consequences, God allows the southern kingdom to fall. A guy named King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon. They come in and they take out the southern kingdom and they wipe out the temple. They wipe out the land. So this book of Lamentations, what makes it so unique is it is a response to that. And it, it feels like, we're going to get into this, it feels like a funeral dirge, like something died. And really, in a lot of ways, a lot of things died. So if you think about it, here's this people of God. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you the land. It's going to be a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. What happens? They lose the land. God gets Moses and he says, Moses, 
here's how I want you to build the tabernacle. And then, and then Solomon, I'm gonna let you build a temple. And when they build the temple, remember Solomon has that big prayer and it's unbelievable. And they consecrate and the spirit of God comes and hovers down. And the temple is the place on earth where God and heaven meet, like heaven and earth meet at the temple, gone. You have a lineage of priests. Like God tells Moses, hey, you're going to have a lineage of priests that are going to intercede on behalf of the people so that God will be with you and you will be able to have purity and there will be this unbelievable relationship where you will get to commune with God. God gives David this promise. There's going to be a lineage, a kingdom forever. I'm going to establish my kingdom forever. You're going to always have a son sitting on the Gone, Right? I mean, when you talk about a catastrophic event, you're talking about your temple, the place where God and man meet, boom, destroyed. You're talking about the land, a place that God cleared out for you. You're a rinky-dink, ragtag bunch of enslaved folks who wandered in the wilderness, and somehow, by the grace of God, he goes ahead of you and clears out all the Canaanites, all the parasites, Azarites, all these ites, right? And God gives them the land, gone. You're the people of God who has a priestly heritage that makes a way for you to be with God. Gone, right? So the book of Lamentations is a reflection back of all that they lost. And notice, it's their fault. (laughs) It's their fault. But that doesn't mean that they're not experiencing real grief. It doesn't mean that they're not experiencing real lament. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't welcome their grief and lament, even though it's their fault. And so what Lamentations is, is a collection of these books, and they're going to feel like a funeral dirge, and you're going to get different voices, and they're going to be different perspectives of the grief. It's going to be a really beautiful, artistic thing that we're going to walk through of how do we talk about grief? What does grief look like? How does grief taste and feel and, and sit with us? Now you can see why it feels like a very timely book. But the book is going to be a response to all that they lost. Five poems, most of them an acrostic going in order fifth one the grief overflows and it's a response to say how do we come to god when all seems lost how do we come to god when all that we treasure has been taken or destroyed how do we cry out to god when every day we just feel pain that's what this book is going to teach us. It's going to give us a language to talk to God in the middle of that. So that's what the win. Oh, that was the win. And also the what. Y'all know I don't really go in order here. Okay. The where is obvious. They're in exile in Babylon. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar, he crazy, y'all. The bro was crazy. But the Babylonians came in, take it out. And so they carried off a lot of people. And then they broke down the temple. And Jerusalem is just laid to waste in 586 BC. So history nerds, if you want to go back 586 BC, look it up. Uh, And then why? And obviously, it's you understand the why. I just explained it, right? I mean, it's a horrendous moment in Israel's history. And it's not like they didn't have 500 years of warning. And and it's not like they didn't have several prophets say, I told you this is what was going to happen. And it's not like 100 and some odd years earlier, they didn't watch it happen to their sister in the north. I mean, how hard-hearted do you have to be, right? And yet... They're human, like us, so the same question gets asked of ourselves. How hard are we? Pretty hard-hearted, right? And so they get carried off, and so this is a response to that. What do you do when your whole life has been turned upside down? What do you do when every day you wake up and feel pain? And it's your fault, frankly. Sometimes in the Psalms of Lament that you're going to read in the psalm book, it's not their fault. 
It's not their fault at all. The wickedness is is just because there are wicked people in the world. And you'll see that. Why, God, do you let these wicked people continue on? But here, here there's an owning of all that we did. But it doesn't mean their pain and their grief isn't real. And at you get this sense too that like God preserves this for us. So there's not this sense that they get carried off by Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar is like walking them off and they destroy the temple and God's standing there with his arms crossed and he's like, I told you, I told you. And then they write this beautiful book of lament and he's like, I don't want to hear it. It's your fault. That's not at all the posture. And in fact, God goes to great lengths to preserve this scripture for us, to teach us, train us, and, and comfort us. As we all have experienced, I'm sure, moments like the Israelites where we're going, our whole worlds have been turned upside down, right? I mean, what an incredible book that if you were an Afghani Christian, if you were lost someone to COVID, if you, and this is why I took a year off, I a year ago lost my sister to suicide. And I felt like I felt like my whole world was flipped upside down. To say that I was devastated would be an understatement. And and it took a long time to get the breath back in my lungs. And I needed more than just the triumphant praise psalms. I needed language of lament. I needed language to cry out to God and know that it was okay. And so that's what we're going to do real quick is I'm just going to teach you real quick what is a lament because I'm going to keep saying lament and you're like, cool, could you define the word that you keep using? And yes, I can. And so here's what we're going to do is we're going to do a real quick lesson on lament and that will help us as we jump into the book. But I'm doing this book now because I'm willing to bet many of you are feeling like I felt this year or have felt throughout this year or feeling right now. What do we do? when the world is not as it should be, when our world is not as it should be, when something happens and it leaves a crater in your life and it's not going to get fixed quickly and it may never get fixed in the way that you want it to, something happens that's irreversible. What do you do? And I believe the God-given answer throughout the scriptures is you cry out in lament. And we see this book of Lamentations and the book of Psalms that gives us the answer. And so here's what a lament is. First of all, a lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And I am certain I stole that from somebody, but y'all, these are some notes that I scrabbled down. Um, God was teaching me the language of lament about two weeks before my sister passed away. And so these are actually just old sermon notes, and I don't know where I got this from, but I remember God teaching me this before, um, before I really need it. And so there's a pattern in the laments throughout the Psalms. And so the pattern goes like this. You turn to God. So rather than turning away from God in your pain, you turn to him in your pain. You bring your complaint. Hey, this hurts. This is not fun. This stinks. I hate this. Why did this happen? Why did you let this thing happen? So it's a turning to God. It's bringing your complaint. And then it's asking boldly for help. Rescue me. Deliver me. Save me. Make the pain go away fix it, right? These are all prayerful, faithful askings of God. And you're asking boldly, restore the years that the locusts have eaten, right? So it's a turning to God. It's bringing your complaint and it's asking boldly for help. And in many of the Psalms, not all, but in many of the Psalms, it's then choosing to trust anyways. I don't understand this. This is a pain and, and an inability for me to come, my brain cannot wrap around this. My understanding is failing me. But I will trust you. I will lean into you. 
I will hold on to you because you, like Peter learned, have the words of life, Lord. So where else am I going to go? And so a lament is often it follows a turning to God, not from, to him, bringing your complaint, asking boldly for help and going, and yet, despite my ache, I know that you are good and you do good and I'm going to hold on to you while you're holding on to me. So that's what it is. The second thing is, it's not a complaint. And I want to be clear about this. So you got the Israelites, they're in the wilderness. And they're like, this man is not good. And we want meat. And mm, we don't have any water, right? That's complaint. And the difference is, is a complaint is when you accuse God or malign God's character, right? A lament isn't doing that. Instead, a lament is saying, I'm appealing to you because of your character. It's not, it's not hey, God, why did you do this? You're the worst. It's, God, I know that you are good. So how could you let this happen? You can prevent anything. You can part the sea. You can create life. You can bring dead people back to life. Why is my sister dead? Right? And so there's a complaint that takes place in the Bible that God rightly rebukes. It's an accusation and a mischaracterization of God and a maligning of God. And that's what we see in the wilderness. That's what we see the people, right? But a lament is a turning to God. And because of the character of God, you know you can come to him. Because you know that he is good. Because you know that he is God. Because you know that he cares. Because you know he is the giver of life. You come to him and say, something's wrong. Help me. Thirdly, lament is the language I think so many Christians do not have. Well, let me say it like this. There are swaths of Christians like evangelicals that lack the language of lament. We can learn so much from our minority brothers and sisters and our, and our, and our friends that have lived in places where Christianity is the minority group, right? People like Afghani Christians, like they, I believe, intuit this language. But for many of us who have lived in Western cultures where our faith has not made us an outsider, but instead has often given us cultural cachet, we sometimes lack in our tool box the tools of lament and so we have these triumphant ones you know I've learned to be content in all circumstances or um, you know we are more than conquerors or or all of these really incredible beautiful things that are our inheritance as well as Christians but what lament allows us to do is to name injustice to name our hurts to protest I don't like this I don't want this this is not as it should be it allows us to express our anger and our frustrations and to not To not do those away from God, but to him. To the one who could fix it. To the one who loves us. To the one who's going to comfort us in our afflictions. We come to him. And so oftentimes, we lack a language of lament in certain parts of Christianity. And we can learn from our brothers and sisters who have faced persecution and hardship and trials and have been pressed in on every side. And what we learn from them is they've got a language of lament they receive from our Father, from the same Bible we're all studying. And so we have this inheritance as Christians to say, when life is not as it should be, when things break, when things are broken, when we are hurt, when people betray us, when we experience loss, when we experience tragedy, when all of these things happen, we can look to God, we can turn to him and go, this is not as it should be. And I want to express what I'm feeling to you. And because God preserved it in his word, Throughout his psalm book, we know that we are allowed to do that, and not only allowed to, but encouraged to do it. Lament is the language that we need in this year. We've needed it all along. I don't know how many of y'all have been through unbelievable grief, 
and people mean well, right? But I can barely get my head above the water when you lose a sibling to suicide. And, and then someone comes to you and they go, well, God won't give me more than you can handle. And I'm like, yes, he will. He has done that throughout his history. Because Christ is enough and Paul declares to die is gain. So there are Christians throughout history that have been given more than they can handle because it's not our strength that we borrow from, it's his. And I'm at the end of my rope. I have no strength left. But he does. And I think in those moments, God bless you all. When, when we do, I mean, we do, I mean this. We, we are trying to comfort. Like, it is so hard to watch people you love hurt. So I get it. People want to say something profound to make the hurt less. But it brings me to my fourth point. It's part of the gift of lament. Is lament allows you to participate in the suffering of others. This is a communal lament book. Lamentations is. It's communal. We're feeling this together. But one of the things that you can do when someone's going through grief and they hurt and they're in pain is rather than rushing them to Sunday, to the resurrection, which is important and we need that. But you can sit with them in Good Friday. Because you know what's crazy about Good Friday? is Jesus himself quotes a psalm of lament. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we read that and we get troubled by that passage because we're like, whoa, 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 the Father does not forsake Jesus. What in the world is going on here? But if you go read the rest of that Psalm, Psalm 22, it is an unwavering trust in God, though things are hard right now. And what we see on Good Friday is Jesus has co-suffering love with us. We worship a suffering servant who left heaven to come to earth to serve us and be obedient to the point of death, yea, even death on a cross. And as he is on there, what is the language he uses? It is the language of lament. And so we, when we're around people who are hurting and suffering, we don't have to rush to glory. We can co-suffer with them as Jesus taught us to do. And we can open our psalm books and we can declare lament over each other. And you can say, hey, with you, I'm asking God, why did you let this happen? And we're hurting here, Lord. But yet, we know that you're good. We know that you're good. And we know we don't have the rest of the story. What's so crazy is for these people in Israel, they don't have the rest of the story. And the book's actually going to end. We're going to end it with like, oh, okay, that's not a happy ending. That's a very uncertain ending. Because guess what? For them, it's uncertain. But you know what we have the gift of? 2020, in hindsight, we're going to see it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. They're going to get their land back. You know how? Because Jesus is going to come. And home is a person, not a place. And Jesus is going to come and be the king that sits on the throne. And he's going to come be the place where heaven and earth meet. And he is going to come and fulfill all that God has called them to be. And he will be the one that perfects injustice or becomes the perfect just one. And he will get rid of that injustice by living a life of perfect righteousness so that all that they lost... All that Nebuchadnezzar took from them, they will get back in Christ. And we will be participants and recipients of that as well. And that is an unbelievably beautiful story. But if you are reading it in 582 BC, you are wondering, how long, O oh Lord? How long? So this was long, but I think it was hopefully worth it. And as we get into the book, it's not going to be a happy book. It's not. I promise I'll try to be funny. I'll try to add some wit and some humor as we slog through it. But I'm offering it to y'all not to be funny. 
I'm offering Lamentations to us because maybe you're like me. And this year you needed to have in your toolbox, your Christian toolbox, the language of lament, the language of grief. And if you're like me, then maybe this would bless you and encourage you. So what's our big so what for us today before we jump into the text and on our next episode? One of the most beautiful things about God preserving lamentations and all these psalms of lament and so many moments of just absolute utter pain in the scriptures is that we learn that we have a God who never asks us to suffer in silence. That when we are suffering, he gives us permission and even encouragement to turn to him and cry out. We are not asked to suffer in silence. And not only does he say, you have a language and an ability to turn to me in your lament, but I'm going to write them communally so that you not only don't have to suffer in silence, but you don't have to suffer alone. So for those of you who are listening, if you've been suffering in silence or if you've been suffering alone, I would encourage you to grab the Psalms or grab Lamentations and cry out to God and find some friends who can sit with you in your grief, but do not believe for one second that God is ever asking you to grin and bear it. Instead, he's saying, put voice to your protest. Trust that I am with you. Trust that when you say, this is not good, that he agrees. That's why he sent his son to give back to the Jerusalemites all that they lost, and then some. They not only got it all back, what Christ gave them was all of it back and then even more they can possibly understand. So that's my so what, is if you are hurting and you are suffering, press on with us, but cry out to your God and find people who will sit with you in it because you're not meant to do this alone, friends. All right, if nobody's told you today that they love you, I do, but way more importantly, the God of the universe who wants you to understand he co-suffers with you. He loves you. Peace.